You're listening to Tasting Together. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Welcome to Tasting Together. My name is Andre Prue. And I'm Maroki Tong. What are we doing here? They let us on the radio. I, I think they might be making a big mistake, but it also might be the best decision of their lives. It could be. It, it certainly could be. Um, so what what exactly are we doing here? What's what's Tasting Together? Well, Tasting Together is, I think, you and I, as people who are extremely passionate about food and wine, is going to share with you, all our listeners, all the most delicious things to eat and drink around Toronto, beyond, things to do at home, get super nerdy. About certain things, yeah. I, I mean, super nerdy, right? I think I think everybody has that friend in their um, in their group in their circle of friends that um, is either addicted to the Food Network and always trying new things, often to the point where it can be very annoying. Or you know, you have that one friend who is is really really into wine, and they can be really annoying. I'm sorry for all of my friends who are listening to this. I am that guy in um, one of my groups of friends. Hey, but you know what? I would say that on the same token, you're also the person who's going to get texted at 11 p.m. at night because someone needs that wine under 25 bucks for the dinner party tomorrow that's going to make a splash among them and you immediately have an answer for them. So it's a trade-off, right? Oh, man. They get you, to listen to you sometimes. You've just outed yourself as as a night owl compared to me as a morning person that you you specified 11 p.m. at night for that. I guess before we get into into some of you know some trends and like what's going to be going on as we head into the the fall months here, uh, let, let's just share a little bit about ourselves and, and and how we ended up behind these microphones here. I I think for a lot of people in Toronto, they might recognize this voice and um, and this name. Um, occasionally, the LCBO has used tasting notes that I've used to uh, promote Ontario wines on their shelves. Um, I have been writing about wine since 2010 and made appearances on on television. I have been on uh, on the Global Morning Show to talk about wines quite quite a long time ago, and um, yeah, it's just really exciting to get behind a microphone and, and and talk about food and wine for a longer a longer segment. Andre, you just made yourself sound like a real superstar, and I don't know how I'm going to follow that up. <laughs> well, you're a superstar, too. <laughs> well, I can't say I've been writing about wine since 2010, but I can say I've at least consumed and learned about wine for that long. But um, unlike you, Andre, who wrote about it, I sort of did it just for myself. And then, you know, during this um, very specific period called 2020, where a lot of us were stuck at home, um, I was reevaluating my life like a lot of us probably were and having some flexion. And I thought, well, there's this thing you've really cared about, Maroki, for over 10 years. And once upon a time, you daydreamed about being in wine. Um, Why don't you dip your toe in in the most easy way possible and start a wine Instagram account, which is exactly what I did. And I guess people like my ramblings. So yeah, since you've, then, mostly. <laughs> you, dove, you dove right into it. Um, I mean, it was actually one of my favorite things about what happened during the pandemic was like, obviously, you know, social distancing was was a big buzzword. Um, and you know, I think a lot of people became more mindful with their alcohol consumption, probably a little bit more after like the first six months of it, where I, I don't know about you, Maroki, but I know for me, like six months into the pandemic, it was just like, I think I'm drinking a little bit more and I, I just need to pay attention to how often I'm opening these bottles and, and what's going on. Um, 
what was fascinating about that though was seeing people who got really passionate about it like there is an entire especially in on in in Ontario like there's this huge like Instagram um community that sprung up over the the pandemic just sharing their love of of wine and learning about wine together it's really been like fascinating to see yeah it's like a whole social community right i never thought i would make friends i obviously became friends with you sort of through that scene um i know how we met was that I was coming over to drop some things off and somehow ended up on your balcony drinking wine <laughs> under the stars. And I think I was like, oh, who's this person? I've never met him in person before. And we did it, you know, outdoors and got a chance to really know each other. And we just learned that we're both super nerdy about wine. So we can kind of turn, bend each other's ear without annoying all our surrounding friends. But yeah, that's how I got into wine. Um, I've been present. My face has been present in media and stuff, but that was like a whole other lifetime ago, mostly as an actor to producer. So if you've seen my name before, it's associated. It's the same person. I'm just now talking about wine instead. But <laughs> well, I mean, you, you did get on stage. Uh, I, I guess just like a, like not to gloss back your stage presence, but you did a fringe show this year with your with your fiance. That was quite good. A, a, a critique of of um, science fiction and, and pop culture and. Uh, and toxic masculinity. It was a uh, fascinating toxic masculinity within the geek culture. Yep, a very specific niche topic. And we uh, first mounted it at the Impact International Theater Festival in 2017, and then got the invite for 2020. We delayed it for a couple of years for obvious reasons, and bring it back on stage. So yeah, thanks, thanks for that, Andre. Well, this has been a whole lot of talk about wine. Let's bring this back to talk about food. Um, well, that was what I was just about to ask because. You know, we're, we talk about nerding out so much and we talk about being people who love food and wine and, and we talk about our love for Toronto. Um, now that restaurants are opening back up, this is probably a good time to kind of say like, Andre, like what is something in Toronto that has changed your life when it comes to food? Hmm. Man, that's actually not, not how I thought you were going to ask that, ask that question, but um, <laughs> I'm actually not originally from Toronto. And um, I know that, that it's it's changed a whole lot since I moved here. But I grew up in in Regina, Saskatchewan, and um, you know the cultural diversity in Regina is just not the same as it is in Toronto. And that's something that I, I I love is that when you're craving food from a certain region of the world, um, you know without fail you can find a restaurant that that exists in Toronto that serves authentic cuisine from various parts of the world. And I know when um, when I first moved to Toronto, um, I was enamored with uh, with Chinatown on, on Spadina. Mm. And, um, you know, I was 23 when I moved here. It was right after university. I, I was looking for an adventure and just never moved back. And, you know, there's just a, a romantic notion. I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only one. I'll, I'll, I'll bet you anyone who's listening, there's a lot of people who are listening to the show right now that probably have an experience similar to mine where there's just something about, you know, going out, partying your brains out on, on Queen Street or or wherever is the neighborhood to do that. Looking at your watch, it's 2 a.m. and you've still got some gas in the tank and heading to Spadina to grab some uh, Chinese food that is, um, as, far as, I, as far as I know, and I mean, you're of Chinese descent. That's something we mm-hmm. didn't talk, touch on at the beginning, beginning of this. Um, but more Chinese food that is more authentic to China than it is to Canada. Let's just say in in Saskatchewan, you grew up with a lot of chicken balls and egg rolls, which are equally delicious, but not something, you know, it's just not something I found in in Chinatown. And I was 
fascinated by that. I feel like we could talk about the whole chicken ball and and chop suey, the history of that in the Chinese Canadian fabric of history at, at some point in the future, Andre. But absolutely, I mean Chinatown. You know, you can get a lot of different kinds of Chinese cuisine from different, you know, from the different provinces, right? Chinese food is it varies a lot depending on the region of China where you're from, and Chinatown has a you know, a, a pretty reasonable selection and not just Chinese food too, right? Like yeah. I know China, there's like, um, I think there's a 24 seven Vietnamese um, pho place yeah. on Dundas um, that my partner said he's gone to, I think <laughs> once or twice and, and quite enjoyed uh, late at night as well. So, and I will say like, I'm a soup dumpling snob. I definitely. Oh, I love soup dumplings. Yeah. Probably will mostly get them up in Markham, but um, there's a, I think there's I think it's called Juicy Dumpling right on uh Dundas and Spadina on the corner near the Chinatown Center and they do I think like six soup dumplings for 3 or 4 bucks oh, they, and they, for 3 or 4 bucks. Yeah, they have one in all Midtown day. too. They have one in Midtown too right at uh at at Young and Eglinton. All right. I want to hold that thought because I need to ask you what you asked me. Uh and we have plenty more coming up on Tasting Together and we will get to that right after the break. Welcome back to Tasting Together, Toronto's news, today's talk, 640 Toronto. Welcome back, folks, to Tasting Together with Andre Pru and myself, Baroki Tong. We're going to talk to you about all things food and drink around Toronto and the surrounding region. Andre, just before we went on the break, I think we were kind of... Um, well, you asked me a very a very deep philosophical <laughs> question. I mean, I'm looking <laughs> I'm looking at our lineup that we we put together for the first episode of Tasting Together, and we wanted the audience to get a feel for, for who we are. And I, I was going to ask about a memorable meal, but you asked me about what restaurant or what place in Toronto changed my life. And I, I really liked how you worded that. So I need to throw the question back at you. Having spent a lot of time in Toronto, what meal or restaurant or place changed your life and it's funny that i asked you the question in that way because i i was reflecting on um you know that question myself over the last night in preparation for the show i remember having a moment going what are your most memorable restaurants maroki you know there's we we just have so much in toronto and i've i've had the pleasure to experience just some incredible food and drink over you know the decade or so that i've I've lived here and in and out. Like I was born and raised in Kitchener-Waterloo, which is only about an hour-ish away from here. And uh, we definitely did come out pretty regularly into the city for food and drink. And I had this moment where I'm going, is it the hole in the walls that are extremely memorable to me? Is it the diversity of cuisine? You know, I'm thinking about over the pandemic, um, this one Middle Eastern brunch lunch place opened up called Fatouche. It just started as a pop-up at um, a dépanneur. And then I think they just opened a brick and mortar in Cabbage Town. Phenomenal cuisine, well-priced, absolutely delicious. And I, I guess, you know, if I had to pinpoint something, it might be in the kind of more fine dining spectrum. So the complete opposite of what you talked about in Chinatown. Interesting. Um, Kitchener-Waterloo has a much more diverse food scene now as it's become more gentrified. But growing up, it was quite limited and i i definitely say i had a bit of an expensive taste growing up i don't know why maybe it's because like growing up chinese 
a lot of our foods generally is price quite price accessible. And I, I like the idea of fine dining. I like the idea of dressing up and tasting European food is not something that enters my household very often. So naturally, my brain always geared towards fine dining as European style cuisine. That's not to say there isn't incredible fine dining that's Indian and, and Middle Eastern and Chinese these days. This is just clearly my particular perception growing up. So I think about taking my partner out to Richmond Station for his birthday. Mm. And there was this dessert there mm. that if you looked at it firsthand, you would think it's a deconstruction, but it's not a deconstruction. It's just this cacophony of flavors and texture together. I, I even looked up in my Google Drive a picture of it in advance of the show because I was like, I need to remember it because it had like rhubarb pearls and a gelée foam. It had a sourdough ganache, which makes no sense, honestly, but is so delicious. And they had these little Earl Grey, little white chocolate twigs and crumbs. It's I find that fine dining, it's its that experience. It's this food that in some ways, it visually is interesting. You don't really know what it is. Um, you know, it's a little bit mixture of molecular gastronomy, a little bit of a deconstruction, a little bit reverent almost. But my goodness, but it, it has to deliver, right? It can't yeah, how just... Long ago, how long ago was it. this? How long ago was this that you were at Richmond Station? 2018. 2018. So I think, would, would that have been when Farzam Fala was making the desserts there? Because you said the dessert in particular was was memorable. Yeah, I mean, I I couldn't tell you. I didn't get that far in my research. You'll have to confirm that one. For uh, me. No, that's fine. I mean, like there there was a yeah, that was definitely a, a great Richmond Station is is still definitely a, a full destination. It's also like it's you know it's something I think we're going to touch on in in an upcoming episode of um of tasting together. But the whole idea with the Michelin Guide having come to Toronto, I found that whole exercise fascinating because you talked about like really quick about like where Toronto and you, you mentioned it in your setup of, of leading up to Richmond Station there is like, where does Toronto excel? And it's just like, you know, for me, I love I love fine dining. But I when I go to experience fine dining, I tend to prefer to do it elsewhere i prefer to do it when i'm traveling when i'm in italy when i'm mm. in, in france when i have a chance to do that it's just like um i'm, I'm sure i'm sure there's some people who have strong opinions about certain places in toronto but i just find that fine dining isn't where toronto necessarily excels i think it's, huh, it's those restaurants that are just like a step below that you know it's places like antler it's places like uh you know back in its heyday rosen sons where you know, it's elevated sort of greasy spoon. It's elevated like comfort food at home. And like what Michael Hunter does at Antler with like a very, a very farm to table to the next level with not just farm to table, but like forest to table with the serving game and things like that. Uh, but I mean, that's like, I mean, that's not, that's certainly not the topic we were, we were hoping to, to unpack here today. I think we can probably do an entire show on that at, at some point coming up. Yes, absolutely. But and you know what, at a closing known Richmond station, what I will say is that for pricing for what they're delivering, I think they over deliver for the price. And it actually really isn't that expensive, either. In my particular opinion, you no, get I'd a really you fine that. meal, you don't blow your bank. I agree with you on that so, for sure. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, okay, so it's getting colder, even though we've had some really beautiful fall days. Yeah, it's last- about time that fall kicked in. I mean, it was it was pretty chilly for most of October. And then it got warm again. It did. Well, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> so I have a question. Like, is pumpkin spice latte season over yet? I don't think so. Um, how I I am an ardent defender of pumpkin spice, and I, I know it's I, a very divisive, very divisive thing. Where do you stand on the pumpkin spice? I I just don't know when it became such a meme. 
Like, when did we all start making fun of it and start having such, like, intense, I don't know, conflict over the idea of spicing things up? You know, for me, the, the warm, <laughs> like, warm spices of cinnamon and pumpkin pie and, and, you know, cloves and, and, and cardamom. And that's, like, for me, reminiscent of fall, right? Like, I think that's the thing we, you know, enjoy kind of like warming our bodies up when we, when we eat or drink it. So I, I don't quite understand, like, do people hate pumpkin pie? <laughs> well, pumpkin pie, you know, that's something I'm actually, I've actually learned, learned quite a bit. Like I'm, I'm, I make a, a really good pumpkin pie. I do everything from scratch. Like I buy the pumpkin, I cook the pumpkin down, you know, um, and it's very divisive. When I go to my, uh, my in-law's house for Thanksgiving and for Christmas, I bring a pumpkin pie for me and it's like me and my grandfather-in-law who go to town on it. And half the family won't touch it. It's um, it's the same thing with like fruitcake at Christmas too, right? There's just certain things where, you know, you're surprised when people aren't into it because like it's just such a wonderful cacophony of uh, of flavors, you know. Like with uh, with pumpkin pie, there's just so much going on in terms of, of in terms of spice, right? Especially when you think about the meals that you eat with pumpkin pie for the most part. Um, I I love turkey, but turkey on its own is, is not a super exciting meal if you're talking about like depth of flavor like when you're doing the full turkey dinner spread there's not a lot of exciting flavors that are on the table i mean that's fair that's fair but i think that applies to everything there's always something that people like and what they don't like so i don't really know why all the hate for for psl i'm here for it i'm here to flavor it all of it if you don't like it don't drink it i mean that's really what it comes down to but how about like what are the other things that are reminiscent of fall like for me it's kind of beginning to introduce soups as opposed to eating salads in the summer or drinking porters and switching to porters and stouts as opposed to drinking Dark beers instead of light beers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's one of the things where, you know, having been a wine writer for as long as I have one, one question that I, I often get from people is, do you prefer red or white wine? And the answer is, is that I, I don't have a preference. There's a time and a place for everything, but whether it's, um, whether it's conscious or subconscious, I definitely, slip into red wine season um there's fewer white wines that make their way out onto the shelf at uh, at this time of year in in andre's house and um yeah I, I mean whether it's deliberate or not like it's just subconsciously i i slip into red wine season where does rosé fall into all of that uh, i mean it's the same thing too like any of those those wines that, that need to sit in the sit in the fridge i mean i'm just i'm not drinking as many of them when it gets to this i mean you talk about things that are reminiscent of fall it's you know making like a beef bourguignon with red wine it's you know braising lamb shanks and pulling out the red wine or the port um it, it, it's things like that well i agree with you to some extent on that but i will say you know that i definitely am a rosé all year kind of person and i will always try and drink it even when i think it's out of season i think people should just drink what they want and there's some really nice rosé uh, robust rosés out there and speaking of rosé maroki niagara is a great place where you can get rosé year-round and we're going to talk right after the commercial break about why you should be going there in the fall and not necessarily the summer You're listening to Tasting Together. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. Welcome back to Tasting Together. I'm your host, Andre Pru, and I'm joined by Maroki Tong, my co-host. And we are going to tell you why the fall is the best time to go visit wine country. Because it's very pretty. I mean, 
I know this is this is going to be a loaded question for anyone who's tuned into the first couple segments of the show that you and I are are definitely very into into wine in the world of wine. But do you do you enjoy going down to Niagara and tasting wines? Absolutely, and I will go any time of year. I have shown up in February <laughs> to taste wine. Okay, but let's go back in the in the way back machine. Back when you were still at the very beginning of your wine journey, I'm going to go back in the in the way back machine for when I was when I first moved to Ontario in 2007. When um, when you think about visiting wine country, when do you generally think about heading down to plan your visit? So I am that weirdo, Andre, and I tend to plan on the off season specifically to avoid tourists because I want the opportunity to you know, perhaps speak to the winemaker or someone who's working in the cellar. <laughs> like, I want to get deep and nerdy, and I really want to learn something when I'm there. And, well, you ruined my you know, question. I, you know the answer I, know, I was looking for. No, but that's who I am. Like, that's actually okay. what I do. <laughs> I think I think when most people think about heading down to wine country, they picture those verdant vineyards, a hot summer day, you know, Getting into the car, barreling down the QEW, and then arriving at some of the picturesque wineries, either in, in the, the bench area or Prince Edward County or Niagara on the lake. And then I just imagine my experience like from like 15 years ago going down and, and visiting, you know, let's just say Trias, because that was a winery that I, I enjoy visiting and still do enjoy visiting. You'd arrive at the at the at the winery. You'd sit up to the tasting bar. You would have someone there. There'd be a handful of people behind the bar. And then a tour bus shows up and 30 yes. or 40 people get off the tour bus. And all of a sudden, the, the person who is looking after you, making sure, talking about the wines, like, like the experience you just talked about, getting a chance to really get to know the wines, it's, it's all gone. Because you now have 30 or 40 people who have arrived at the tasting bar and are shoulder to shoulder and everyone's trying to be looked after and... I mean, the wineries do a very good job at offering great hospitality, especially when dealing with large groups. And, you know, summer definitely is a great time of year to head to wine country when you just see how beautiful and picturesque the uh, the landscape is. But it, it can be a challenge if you really want to go and learn. Absolutely. And I mean, I think also just your your time to taste and the entire time you generally spend at a winery shortens in the summertime. Plus, it gets hot sometimes. It gets really hot outdoors if you're if you're enjoying the patio and and I'm sure you know you can sit in the shade with a glass of white wine. But when you're crowded with a whole bunch of people and the indoor tasting room might not be necessarily you know as large to accommodate everyone, and especially in the last two years, a lot of us are spending a lot more time outdoors during the summer. Yes, um, I would say that if you want to kind of miss that, and also like I said, it's pretty. And the reason why I said pretty is because it's you know, during fall, the, the leaves are changing as you're going down to the Niagara Escarpment. You just get to see that, you know, symphony of colors as the leaves are changing. And I got to experience that this year. I mean, honestly, just driving to the border because I went to the Finger Lakes and oh, heading down yeah. to Niagara through the Escarpment. Stunning. Um, just just a beautiful time of year to go. And as, you know, we mentioned before, like harvest is usually finishing up at the time. You might get a chance to see. Well, I mean, that's it. That's, that's, a, that's the thing. We didn't, we didn't specify when in the fall is the best, is the best time to go. Like here we are getting into the middle of November. For most of the wineries, I think the harvest should be completely finished. Um, mm -hmm. there are occasionally a handful of wineries that have a reputation for letting their fruit hang super long. And the reason for letting your fruit hang this far into November is just to develop more sugar. 
um, get higher alcohol just to get those delicious ripe flavors if that's the style that your wine is, is, is going for. But harvest season in Niagara tends to start around mid-September and go until the end of October. And um, for a lot of people, when you go down to the wineries, if you get a chance to do a tour, see all the tanks and the barrels and this and that, you might or may not have noticed a whole bunch of other equipment that is usually sitting in a corner or, you know, off to the side and not being used. And it gets used one time a year for two months, you know, when, yeah. when the fruit starts to come in. You have all sorts of machines that that deal with the nitty gritty of, of getting the must from the grapes. So getting the juice that you need from the grapes to turn them into into wine. And if you head down to Niagara in, in late September and, and October, it's really cool. You get to see... You get to see the teams that play. And I mean, that's why I love going down in the fall is because I've learned more from going down to wineries in October and November than than I've learned just tasting wines in the summer. So if you want to go to learn, that's definitely the time to go. Some wineries even let you harvest a bit of grapes with them. <laughs> just a little bit, though. Just I mean, a little bit. It. I promise they won't, they, won't make you, they won't make you break your back out in the field. But you get a chance to appreciate just all the steps and all the process that goes into a bottle of wine. You'd be surprised. I mean, definitely, definitely. Uh, I know for the twenty, the twenty twenty one vintage that was two vintages ago, not the one that just passed in twenty twenty two. You and I had an opportunity to spend some time in uh, Chardonnay Vineyard, and uh, <laughs> you get this whole romantic notion of what it's like to to pick grapes, and you just picture this, like you know, sunny day, apple picking, berry picking. These are things I did with my dad <laughs> when I was a kid, and it's just like, you know, you, you don't get sticky picking apples, but 2021 was a very challenging growing season. It was wet. I don't know if anyone listening can remember just how rainy and wet the fall was. Um, grapes don't like moisture or humidity. And the fruit was was in rough shape. And uh, when I left that vineyard, after spending an entire day picking grapes, I was sticky from wrist to wrist, from neck to ankle. I, I don't think there was a part of me that the, the wasps did not enjoy. We were very sticky by the end of the day. Absolutely, Andre. Well, before we scare everyone off and now they're going to think that <laughs> they maybe shouldn't be going, there's, you know, uh, let's go back to the happier things. Like at the end of the day, though, like yeah. what, maybe once you get cleaned up and you shower, where you can, you know, you can go and get settled for to eat somewhere. Because Ni- that's the thing, right? Niagara, yes. we talk about it being a wine region, but oh, man. There's, a lot of, there's a lot of food out there. Now, I will fully admit, I don't get to eat out there as often as I really should, because I'm a bit of a machine. When I go, I'm just there tasting, <laughs> tasting and then I just wine. go home. I know it's, it's mea culpa, mea culpa. I actually have a short list of places that I need to visit. Um, I think there's a place called Barbea. It's a wine and snack bar um, <laughs> out by Niagara on the lake. And it's by the same owner as Rufino. And that's on my hit list. And it was actually yes. recommended by my friend, Joanne. She's actually Toronto to Niagara on Instagram, she does a lot of foodie stuff and just shares a lot of love for all the places she eats in Toronto, Niagara. But Andre, I know you've experienced a lot of great dining options. I mean, it's, it's been my favorite, favorite thing. Like I mentioned earlier in, in this segment that I've been visiting Niagara for, for 15 years since I first moved to Ontario. And when I first moved to Toronto, you know, visiting a lot of the winery restaurants is a good place to start. Like the restaurant at Trias, I know I mentioned uh, Trias and Hillebrand earlier in this, is, is an excellent, excellent choice. Vineland has a really great Vineland. restaurant, but something has 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 happened. Something has clicked in the past like five years down in St. Catharines, and St. Catharines is a really great base of operations when um, 
uh, really great base of operations if you're trying to visit Niagara on the Lake and the bench area. Like it's really sort of central to all the wine country in Ontario. And um, there's been this like magic renaissance on on St. Paul Street downtown. Like you have uh, Bolit, you have Oddbird, like you have a couple of, of restaurants that just popped up that you know are delivering a top class dining experience. But the nice thing about them not being in Toronto is they cost a little bit less than getting the same caliber meal in Toronto. See, now they're all going to up their prices after hearing you say that. Oh, I hope not. <laughs> uh, I mean, if we're, if we're doing sort of the, the quick side-by-side as we get to the wrapping up on this segment, Oddbird is sort of um, an elevated greasy spoon diner. They do amazing burgers, but they've also got sort of like a, an elevated fish and chips. They have specials on the menu. They do fresh oysters. They have a really good wine list. And Bolit's a little bit more traditional I'd say leaning towards fine dining, but without fine dining prices. Like it's the sort of place where you could see a family out for, you know, out for like a, a birthday dinner or a, a romantic outing with a couple. Like it's 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 really just a wonderful place, and the atmosphere is really good. And the the chef uh, Andrew McLeod is really well known in um in in the Niagara region. There's a good chance if you visited a winery in the past ten years and food was served that he prepared the meals because he was bouncing around from winery to winery before getting his own place in downtown St. Catharines. So really, I mean, the food scene's really just exciting down there. And uh, sorry, Pearl Morissette. Have you eaten at the Pearl Morissette restaurant yet? I have not yet. Someday, someday it's on the list as well. But I heard it's spectacular. It is. I mean, it's it's in a mo- most lists for best restaurants in Canada. And there's a very good reason for that. Well, I'll give a really quick shout out as we wrap out to um, Prince of Wales on Niagara-on-the-Lake, too. I just jogged my memory. So I've never had the full dining experience in their big dining room, but they actually have a cute little lounge kind of pub in the back. That is just a little bit of that elevated pub setting that um, I really enjoyed in some of my previous trips. And when we get back from the break, uh, we are going to stick on on wine a little bit longer, but we are leaving the Niagara region as we take a look at what we really love about Portugal. So uh, stick around. Welcome back to Tasting Together. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Hello and welcome back, everyone, to Tasting Together. I'm Roki Tong, and I'm here with my co-host, Andre Pru, where we're going to armchair travel to Portugal now. Andre, do you... Do you want to get on a plane and go to Portugal? And just actually, you've been there before. I have been to Portugal, Portugal before, but it's actually been been really funny. So I had a chance to do some traveling during the summer, and uh, I got a chance to deal with the um, you know the joy that was spending time at Pearson, um, and you know long flight delays and and everything. And you know I'm just super envious because when I when I open up my my Instagram feed, all I see are um people who are are doing their fall travels you know it's 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 one of my favorite things when you can extend the summer in in ontario because like it just feels like our summers are so short and go somewhere where it's a little bit warmer than here but not be unbearably hot Mm -hmm. yeah i know and i'm just having a lot of travel envy seeing what people are taking their trips and i know we have uh, a guest who's going to be joining us very shortly who just took a trip to Portugal and I'm having much envy because Portuguese wines, they're near and dear to my heart because I remember in the very start of my wine journey, I was looking for bottles that I thought would give me a great bang for their dollar. And 
Portuguese wines were some of the first that came up in my searches as the, you know, as wines just punch right above their price point. And for years, I drank an incredible amount of Portuguese wines for that very reason. So the opportunity to finally travel there and experience it for myself is just the kind of bucket list dream. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I know my parents will talk about their experience when they were learning about wine. And I think um, for a lot of baby boomers out there, Matus, if I say Matus out loud, you <laughs> either have fond memories or not so fond memories of that particular that particular wine. Uh, but I mean, that is a lot of people's experience with Portugal to, to begin with. Um, but I'm I'm just like you. Uh, I don't mind I don't mind dropping thirty forty dollars for a, a really nice bottle of wine on a weekly or a biweekly basis. But if I'm looking for something to drink on a weekday, and I'm really looking for value, Portugal is um, is is definitely the place to go. And this is one of these things where earlier on in my, in my wine writing career, I learned to differentiate the word cheap from economical because there's connotations that come with the word cheap that aren't necessarily positive and even though portuguese wines generally speaking cost less than most other regions in the world you definitely can get some really really fantastic bottles at a much lower price point than most other regions in the world sometimes it's just a fancy label that's upping the price point right I, so I mean, hundred percent. We can totally unpack. Yeah. We can totally unpack the what you're getting in the in the bottle at at a, a later time on the show. But like, that's a, a really great point. I don't think a lot of people think about that. People just you'll go into a store and you'll buy a bottle of wine and think the price is the price because that's the price. What pushes the price as high as it is? Um, you know, if you're talking about a region like Napa Valley, for example, the sky's the limit. You can find bottles there that are that are worth hundreds and hundreds of dollars. Even with the price of real estate and the cost of the best barrels in the world, at a certain point, you're paying for a name and a brand and a region. Yeah. And that's what I was trying to allude back to when it comes to wines from Portugal is that, you know, they have the ability to do great production and keep the prices down. It could be because, you know, they have favorable climates. It could just be by virtue of volume. Um, but what they put out is really solid stuff. and. um I'm not just saying that because it was the standard bottle I reached for when I was a starving actor. <laughs> okay, well I'm gonna I'm gonna put you I'm gonna put you on the spot because we're about to be we're about to be joined by Danny Longo from the 640 Toronto newsroom because he is who we were talking about that was recently in Portugal. But do you have a favorite Portuguese wine? Ooh. Recently is the harder question. Um, honestly, I don't have a favorite Portuguese wine, but these days, instead of buying them for under $10, I buy them between $15 and $18, and I find almost like 95% of the ones I buy within that price range far over-deliver for the amount I pay. I think you've just given the listeners um, a huge sort of life hack about drinking Portuguese wine. If your go-to in Portugal is a 9 or $10 bottle of wine, there's a chance that you're drinking something outstanding. If you add five or eight dollars to that, you're getting into the really good stuff just because it costs less to make a really good bottle of wine in Portugal. Um, I know for me, I, I like to treat myself once in a while with a Ramos Pinto 10 year port. I, I really enjoy drinking port from, from time to time. Speaking of Ramos Pinto, uh, a fine winery in Porto. 
we are actually joined by uh, Danny Longo, who was recently in Portugal and had a chance to visit Ramos Pinto. How's it going, Danny? Uh, it's going great. Yeah, Ramos Pinto was a lot of fun. Uh, I did a flight there, and uh, you mentioned the 10-year Tawny. I got to try that, actually, and a, and a 20-year, and they were delicious. I really regret not buying a bottle, <laughs> but you know there, there are limitations when you're coming back, uh, so... Uh, I ended up buying a different 20-year tawny um, from another winery, but the Ramos Pinto was beautiful. And uh, yeah, we tried five wines there, a, a white, a couple of rubies, a vintage, and uh, yeah, 10-year uh, tawny, and then the 20-year tawny, which was pretty incredible. I would want to know, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners would like to know too, because I, I've tasted port. I can hardly call myself an expert. Do you know that like what is the difference between white and red port oh man i don't really know the difference i mean i've, I've tasted the difference i don't know i think it's just the, the way i think it's processed the same way that a regular wine would be processed but in, in port i think i believe they add alcohol to it so yes. the way port is made the the base wine is made similar to any other wine i'm sure there's some people listening to this who make wine at home in their basement or go to places to do that or whatever the case may be but you start with a base wine um you leave a little bit of sweetness in it with port and then you fortify it with clear alcohol to push the alcohol up to 18 19 20 percent and uh, as a result you get a, a a wine that has a longevity that uh a lot of other wines do not and especially given Port is not really the most popular wine on the shelves of the LCBO. I think for a lot of people, the sugar is a bit of a turnoff. You can buy some really good uh, late bottled vintage port for like $20 a bottle. If you want to squirrel that away in the cellar, it, it will evolve, but like differently than, than your regular table wine does. Yeah, my understanding, I, I did ask that question at the, at the winery at Ramos Pinto specifically. I asked that, you know... Does storing a 20-year vintage bottle, for example, longer, does that make a difference to the taste of the wine? And they basically said not really because they age it in a huge barrel. And when you bottle it, once you bottle it, it's pretty much ready to drink. 100%. Yeah. it's. Yeah. I mean, it's a cool thing about it. And the older port is, the more expensive it generally gets. Like I know you said you visited Taylor's as well. I did visit Taylor's. I mean, I, I've I've always liked Taylor's. I've I've uh, gotten their bottles several times as gifts, and I mean, it's as a go to, like especially here, um, it's easily accessible at, at the LCBO. And um, but yeah, their ten year Tawny is one of my favorites. They actually have a fifty year that is really? going to be coming out around the holiday season. I just need to confirm the availability on that. But Taylor always has some really cool products when uh, when it hits the shelves in the in the fall. Beautiful mm -hmm. property there, amazing. It's a bit, a bit, bit of a trek to get to because it's up a hill. If you don't mind uh, getting some exercise in and getting your steps in, uh, it was definitely uh, worth visiting for sure. Did you pair any port with cuisine? Did you do some uh, port and food pairings? Not at any of the wineries, but we did on our own when we had some dinner. Uh, we did do some port uh, in one place. We were in the Algarve. We had a. Uh, Oh my gosh, it was delicious. It was a cod spinach risotto and uh, there was cheese in there. It was just so good. It wasn't mine, it was my spouse's. But uh, I got to try it and uh, she did pair it with a white port actually and it was it was incredible. And you know, that's the fun. I mean, 
I'm not a sommelier or anything like that, but uh, pairing foods and wines is, uh, oh, it's just such a fun thing to do. And sometimes you discover things that make things taste even better, right? Well, on th- on that note, we're looking forward to uh, to going on this this journey with the listeners. We're getting to the end of the first episode of Tasting Together. We will be touching base with Danny every week to just talk about what we're drinking. It might be wine, it might be beer, it might be spirits, but we, um, you know, we're just trying to find a way to, you know, to to learn about this stuff together because it's 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 a lot of fun. Yeah, I look forward to it. I'm looking forward to having fun. And listening and learning. And that takes us to the end of the hour. Thank you all so much for tuning in to our first episode of Tasting Together. Hopefully you'll join us next week at the same time at 5 p.m. on Saturdays. They can't let us go after one episode, right, Andre? I mean, how else are they going to find out where the best places to eat and drink in Toronto are? So we'll catch you next week.